We could just go on on that song forever, couldn't we? <laughs> Manna in the morning. Man. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Uh, my name is Mark Stieberg, and glad to see all of you today in this condensed venue, looking up instead of down. Uh, if this is your first time visiting with us today, welcome. Uh, we are glad that you're here, and we look forward to getting to know you. Uh, we are a church that loves Jesus. Uh, we love his word. We love the Bible. We love each other. And we're on a mission, right? Yes. We're on a mission to bring Jesus to the lost, to the less fortunate, and to help our brothers and sisters here in the church to finish the race. That's why we're here. And today I have the great honor of continuing our sermon series that we've entitled The Red Letter Revolution. And in this series, what we're doing is we're focusing on literally the red letters of the Bible uh, in the New Testament Gospels. These are the words of Jesus himself. And I've been a disciple now for going on a little over 16 years, and I've studied the Bible a lot. And I'm convinced that the world does need to see the real Jesus uh, that we see in the Bible. Because I don't know if you've observed this, but I've observed that, we go to the next slide, the world likes to create its own image of who Jesus is. Right. And I find it interesting that all these movies and miniseries and, you know, History Channel and CNN pop up around Jesus. Right. And everybody's got this idea of Jesus and who he is. And, you know, I find that sometimes these movies are only a semi accurate depiction of Jesus's life. And have you noticed that that those movies and, and Jesus shows really crop up around Christmas and around Easter? You know, when people are sort of in the Jesus mood. Um, <laughs> I, I, Googled, I Googled Jesus, images of Jesus, and I pulled out some of my favorites here. Uh, but there were literally over 400 different images of Jesus online that you could find. People, ideas of, of how, what Jesus really was and what he looked like. My favorite is that one right in the middle where Jesus has the, like, the bird on his shoulder. It's like pirate Jesus, I guess. But there is, there is a much more accurate source of information about Jesus, right? And that's... Um, that's much more accurate than CNN or the History Channel, and that, that is the Gospels. It's the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And how do we know that the Gospels are accurate? Uh, it's really because, really, the Gospels were written only a few decades after Jesus died. And most scholars agree that, that the earliest Gospel to be written was the book of Mark. And it was written around 70 A.D. So Jesus died in 30 A.D., so it was about 40 years after Jesus died that the Gospel of Mark was written by by his contemporaries, people that walked with him. And the other Gospels, uh, Matthew, Luke, John, were written about 50 years after Jesus died. So I don't know about you, but, but I mean, I believe that the people who walked with Jesus could accurately remember what he said and what he did 40 or 50 years later. And the reason why I believe that is because I think about my own upbringing and my own life, and I think, can I remember what my parents told me 30 or 40 years ago? I can remember with great detail <laughs> some of the things that my parents told me and some of the things that they did. And so, uh, you know, I think it's pretty easy to believe that the people who live with Jesus could, could believe what the Son of God said 40 years after uh, he died. So, so it's really Jesus' words that we're going to focus on today. And I apologize in advance. It's not going to be as entertaining as the History Channel or CNN. Uh, but I promise we will focus on the red letters of the Bible, and I won't take any creative license either. So... Today we're going to be talking about how to calm the storms of life. Next slide, please. And there's three points that we want to talk about today. The first point is that the storms will come, 
The second point, the thing we'll talk about is how are you going to weather the storm? And then the third point is that the stakes are high. So Mark chapter 4, next slide, starting in verse 35. Next slide, please. So Mark 4, starting in verse 35, it says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. And there were other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up, and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified, terrified, and they asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. First point is that the storms will come. And we see here that a literal storm came upon Jesus and his disciples. Um, it must have been a very quick storm. It happened quickly. It came up quickly. And it sounds like it was pretty intense by the way the Bible ex explains it. And I did a little research on this, an interesting side note. Jesus and his disciples were on the Sea of Galilee, right? That's where they were. And the Sea of Galilee is actually a relatively shallow body of water relative to both seas. It's about 180 feet deep at its deepest point. And if you're familiar with how waves work, if you have a shallow body of water, are the waves bigger or smaller? Waves are bigger. So the shallower the water, the bigger the waves are. There's a similar phenomenon actually here in the U.S. with Lake Erie. If you've ever seen Lake Erie or pictures of Lake Erie, it's shallow. And it gets windy there. And the waves on that lake get huge. And actually this, this painting here is not far off from how big those waves may have been on the Sea of Galilee. It's pretty scary to be in a little fishing boat in those sort of waves, right? And apparently the disciples couldn't bail fast enough to keep the water out of the boat and it started to sink. And so, you know, fear took over naturally and they thought they were going to die. And in fact, they were so afraid that they actually started getting sort of critical of Jesus. They're like, teacher, do something. Why aren't you doing anything? Don't you know we're going to die? And I love Jesus's response, right? Have you ever been woken up out of a deep sleep and been a little cranky? <laughs> yes. My boys call me the bear because if I fall asleep on the couch and they wake me up inadvertently, it's not pleasant. I'm not a very, very nice person to be around when I first wake up. And Jesus seems a little aggravated here at first. He's, he's like, he rebukes the winds and waves, first of all. And then he turns and he rebukes his disciples. He's like, come on, guys. Why are you freaking out? You need to step it up in your faith. Now, we may not find ourselves in a boat in a storm very often. But we do live in a very stressful world, don't we? The storms of life come often when we don't expect them. And, and it's just amazing to me that you know, we as Americans, we are the most spoiled people on earth in many ways. I mean, we have the basics, right? I mean, we have, we have very few of us are wanting the basics. We have food, we have clothing, we have health care, we have education, we have technology, we have clean water. Some of the basics that most of the world doesn't even have. Very few of us don't get our essential needs met. But I think in many ways, we're also, as Americans, the most stressed out people in the world. According to the American Psychology Association, there are four top sources of stress for Americans. Okay, and I'll start with number four. Number four is health. People are stressed out about their health. 
understandable. Number three, family. Stressed out about the family. Number two is work. Not surprising. What is the number one source of stress for Americans? You got it. Money. Not surprising. And that stress has a major impact on our health. There are 20 documented ways that stress impacts our health. Cravings, fat storage, heart problems, insomnia, fight or flight, headaches, memory loss. Now this next one, I've suffered from hair loss. <laughs> All right, apparently I'm under a lot of stress. I had a full head of hair. This, it's beautiful. Blood sugar, <laughs> digestion. <laughs> I'm serious, it says hair loss. Bra brain tissue, now get this. They say under more stress, your brain actually, the part of your brain that controls emotions begins to shrink the more stress you're under. So ironically, the more stress you're under, the less you're able to cope with it. It's pretty crazy. Skin, back pain, stroke, asthma, jobs performance, even seizures from stress. Sounds like one of those pharmaceutical commercials where they go through all the side effects, right? It's like, why would I take that drug? I'm gonna, the drug's gonna kill me. And all these can come from the storms of life, right? And when it comes to the storms of, storms of life, the stress, I'm familiar with it. I feel stretched on any, every side, like many of you do. Uh, I work you know, for a large investment firm. I work my 50 to 60 hours a week. I commute downtown and you know, bumper to bumper traffic, which is a joy. Um, <laughs> every day, and I have two wonderful boys that, you know, are amazing. I love them. My wife and I are raising them, but the parents out there can feel me here. It's stressful to raise kids in today's world, isn't it? It can be stressful. My wife and I lead a community group, which we love. We love serving the, the Lord's people, and it, it, it's a joy. It takes a lot of time, and sometimes it can be stressful. Um, in addition to that, my wife and I have been selling our house. We're downsizing to a smaller house. We're getting ready to move at the end of this month, and I can tell you how it feels to be stretched pretty thinly right? But it's true that stress comes from a lot of different places. But generally speaking, you put stress into two buckets, okay? You have man-made stress, and then you have stress that comes from our enemy, yeah. from the Satan. So let's talk about the man-made stress. Next slide, please. Luke chapter 10, next slide. We can go past the stressed guy here. Marshall, wake up. Thank you. All right. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. So, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. So much of our stress comes from our own decisions, right? I mean, Martha decided to open up her home to Jesus. I'm sure he didn't hold a gun to her head. I guess they didn't have guns, but he didn't. He didn't make her have her into her house. Mary and Martha had the opportunity to meet with Jesus and sit at his feet. That's pretty cool, right? But the reaction of Mary and Martha were like night and day. Like, Mary was like, cool, let's hear it, Jesus. I want to hear you teach. 
Martha, on the other hand, was like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, the Lord is coming. I have to clean the house. I got to get groceries. I got to make dinner. I got to set the table. Ah, she's stressed out. And just like the disciples in the sinking boat, Martha also cops a little attitude with Jesus, right? She's like, Jesus, don't you care that I have to do all this work by myself? Don't you care my sister is a slacker? <laughs> Tell her to get off her behind and help me. And Jesus calls Martha out for being so stressed. You're worried about many things, but only one thing is needed, indeed only one. So our decisions create stress. And much of my own stress that I mentioned earlier come from my own decisions. I mean, I think about it. I decided to take the job I have. I decided to have children. I decided to serve God's people. I decided to move. And I bet if you look at what you're stressed about, you can trace it back to decisions that you have made. And making decisions that put pressure on you isn't necessarily a bad thing. Because in some ways, it's just part of living a productive life, right? I mean, we're going we're gonna to do, we're going to be productive. It's going to be a little stressful and, and some pressure sometimes. But it's really how you handle the pressure that matters. And just as Jesus said to Martha, you have to keep perspective on what's most important and what's really needed. And sometimes we can just put this enormous pressure on ourselves, like Martha did, and lose sight of what really matters. So that's man-made stress. But, but another source of stress is not man-made. It comes from our enemy, the devil, who's trying to take us out. Next slide, please. Ephesians chapter 10. Excuse me. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, who's the enemy? The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So both Paul and Peter remind us that Satan and his demons are coming after us. And you know what? In the busyness of our lives, in the secular world that we live in today, it can be easy to forget and lose sight of the fact that we are in a spiritual war. And you know what? We have this, we have this serial killer. You know, it's like it's Satan. You know, bad things happen to good people, and it's not necessarily because you've done a bad thing. It's not necessarily because God's trying to punish you. It's because we have a serial killer that's stalking us. Think of it that way. It's one that we can't see, one who's continually scheming and prowling and waiting for the opportune time to attack, and nothing is off limits. Nothing. Satan does not fight fairly. He will attack your kids. He will attack your health. He will attack, you know, your faith. He's going to come after you. And his biggest weapons are lies and fear and doubt. He tells you lies. He even more aggressively once he knows that you are faithful to Jesus. He's like a heat-seeking missile once you have faith. 
Like it says in, in, in Peter, it says, you know, the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing suffering because Satan is targeting them, right? And I remember after I became a disciple, and a lot of you probably can relate to this, you know, it was my old friends from the world, that my old friends, even my family, were the ones that Satan used to come after me and try to pull me back. You know, they were wondering, my old friends, why, why don't you swear like a sailor anymore? Why don't you come get drunk with us? Why don't you, tell, why don't you laugh at our dirty jokes? And my best friend from high school even told me, you know what? I want the old Mark back. Where's the old Mark? Bring him back. And my parents even saw uh, such a radical difference in me. They think, I think they were worried I was in a cult or something because I had changed so drastically. And Satan was using those people to try to get me to turn back to my old way of life because that's what he does. He wants us to walk away from Jesus. He wants us to die in our sin. So the storms will come. They will come. And they may come from your own decisions or they may come from the evil one. But one thing is for sure, our lives on earth are not going to be easy. Which leads me to my second point, which is how are you going to weather the storm? You know, people react to the storms of life in different ways, don't they? Uh, you know, one of the tools, again, of Satan is to get you to blame God for your difficulties. And we saw this with the disciples in the boat. We saw it with Martha, who was getting annoyed with Jesus. Why are you allowing this? Why aren't you doing something about this, God? And Satan wants you to blame God for the tough times. He wants you to get bitter towards God and say, you know, if God really loves me, if he really exists, how did he allow this to happen? How did he allow me to get this illness that I have? Why did he allow me to, 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 to lose my loved one? Why did he let me be abused? Why did he allow me to use my job? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And rather than turning to Jesus for strength, you can turn away from the living God in anger and in disbelief and try to deal with your hardships your own way and become part of what I call the my way crowd. Do it my way. Uh, maybe Frank Sinatra was like this. I don't know. He liked my way. But when the my way person has hardships, the last thing they want to do is come to Jesus because they are angry and disillusioned with God. And Satan may even get them to believe that God is punishing them for something. Or Satan, on the other hand, might say, you know what? Your life's hard enough. You know, religion, nah, it's not going to save you. Why should you go submit yourself to a bunch of rules? Why should you sacrifice all the things that bring you happiness and pleasure? Why should you hang up with a bunch of, you know, religious hypocrites that don't practice what they preach? You know, I appreciate Amy's humility today. I appreciate what she shared. And, and, and you know, she studied the Bible. She ran from God. She tried to do it her own way for a while. But she knew in her heart what was right, and she came back and she did it God's way. But we can do that. We can run from God. And John 8, next slide. Next slide, please. John 8, verse 44. This is how Jesus, in the red letters, explains who Satan is. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Satan, the father of lies, paints this picture of Jesus and his church that is exactly the opposite of who Jesus really is. Brian pointed out last week that people can start to think about Christianity as just a set of rules and regulations, right? It takes all the fun. There's no fun allowed in Christianity. And the my way person believes that lie. <clears throat> you know, Satan can make you think that the sacrifice of following Jesus is just too great. 
and if he can entice you to go your own way and to weather the storms of, of life on your own. But Jesus gives us the truth, and he gives us a better way to weather the storm. And he's part of the solution, you know, not part of the problem. So in Matthew chapter 11, next slide, <coughs> starting in verse 28. Next slide. So Jesus says here, and this is a key scripture for today. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus isn't going to make our lives harder when we come to him. He knows that we are weary. He knows that we are burdened. He wants to give us rest for our souls. But he does require us to humble ourselves and recognize that my way is not the right way. We need to humble ourselves enough to pick up his yoke and learn from him. And you learn from him by sitting down with his disciples, picking up the Bible, applying the scriptures to your life, and becoming then a disciple or a follower of Jesus yourself. Jesus calls his yoke light because being a disciple and part of his church makes your life infinitely better, not worse. You know, my story, you know, personally, I graduated from college in 1995. And at that time, I was in an immoral relationship with a girl. I was living life my own way. I most definitely was not a disciple of Jesus. The company I was working for was in Des Moines, Iowa. I grew up in Iowa. And they decided to transfer me from Des Moines to, to, to Orange County. So next slide. So picture this. 22, year, 22 years old. I've got this choice. I could stay in Iowa. And we have good things in Iowa. We have cows, we have corn, we have snow, water, or I could go to Orange County, and we have palm trees, and we have sand, and we have surf. It's not a hard choice when you're 22 years old. So I know it's a shocker, but I decided to move to Orange County. And when I moved to Orange County, I knew no one. I was driven, though. I was driven to succeed in my career. So I poured myself into my work. And I would work from 6 a.m. in the morning to 5 p.m. I would usually take a couple hours off. I'd eat dinner, have to work out, whatever. I'd go back to the office at 7 p.m. and I'd work till about 9 or 10 at night. I worked hard during the week. I worked long weeks. And I partied hard on the weekends. On the weekends, I'd go out to bars with coworkers. Those were pretty much the only people I knew. I'd get drunk. And then Monday morning would come around and I would start all over again the same vicious cycle and I was lonely and I was lost and I was empty but I was doing it my way but then I met my future wife Mia who was a disciple you all know the story she introduced me to some other men disciples you know who, who, who decided to study the Bible with me they asked me to study the Bible and they also invited me to hang out with their singles ministry and they wanted to spend time with me now at first I'll admit I was more interested in Mia than I was the Bible 
But what I saw in these Christians, these single Christians, was something that I had never, ever seen. They seemed genuinely happy. They hung out together because they enjoyed being together. They didn't need to get drunk to have fun. They worshiped God together. They studied the Bible together. They helped each other through difficult situations. They were together as brothers and sisters almost every single day. And I compared their way of life to my empty way of life, and it was a no-brainer. I wanted what they had. So I turned myself into God. I did study the Bible. I did apply the scriptures to my life. I saw that I needed to change, and I was lost. And I humbled myself to really learn from Jesus and how I needed to change. And I was baptized on January 10th of 99. And my life as a disciple is infinitely better, infinitely better than it was before. It's not even worth comparing to my prior life. Jesus wants to make our lives better, doesn't he? But we have to be willing to submit to doing things his way, not our own way. Next slide. Matthew 6, verse 31. Do not, do, do not worry, saying, what, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So God knows what you need. You don't have to stress out about what you need. God knows, and he wants to give you what you need. But he requires you to seek him first. To seek him first and to seek his righteousness. In other words, you need to do what God tells you is right, not what you think is right. Next slide, John chapter 10, starting in verse 7. Another red letter. Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So again, Jesus wants you to have life to the full. And I hear that scripture quoted a lot in the religious world. Jesus wants you to have life to the full. But very seldom do people talk about the first part of that scripture, which is he is the what? The gate. We need to go through him to be saved. There is no other way. We need to do it his way. We don't get to have life to the full if we don't do it his way. Next slide. John chapter 16, verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus tells us that we are going to have trouble in the world. He doesn't promise that our lives are going to be easy and pain-free, but he wants you to have peace in difficulties. And that peace comes when you're faithful to Jesus and you do things his way. In me, he says, you can decide to follow the one who did overcome the world. And with that comes peace. John 14, one more red letter, starting in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. Or would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. So the storms will come in your life. A lot of you have storms going on right now. And you can either move further away from Jesus and deal with it your way, or you can take Jesus' yoke upon you. You can humble yourself. You can move closer to God. You can learn from Jesus and his word from the Bible. And you can have a full, complete life in his church. You can join Jesus in overcoming the world. And in the end, you will go to the place that he's preparing for you. So you decide, how will you weather the storm? Which leads me to my third and final point. The stakes are high. The stakes are high. How you decide to weather the storms of life will have eternal consequences. Hebrews chapter 10, next slide. Starting in verse 36. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. I take no pleasure in the ones who shrink back. The Bible calls us to persevere through hardship. And we do that by having faith that Jesus will get us through the hard times. And when you start forgetting Jesus or doubting Jesus or shrinking back in your faith, God is not pleased with you. He takes no pleasure in you. And you can shrink back from your faith, certainly when the storms of life come. But this is where we have to be careful because shrinking back in your faith can also be very subtle. It doesn't just happen when you're in a crisis. Right? It's your day-to-day -day decisions that show if you're living by faith that it talks about here in Hebrews. Do you shrink back at school or at work? And not share your faith because you're afraid of how you may look to people. That's shrinking back. Do you shrink back in your commitments? You know, and, and, and make excuses for not attending meetings of the church. You know, I, I have too much going on at work. My kids are tired. Yada, yada, yada. Do you shrink back from speaking the truth in love to your brothers and sisters? Because it's easier to avoid the confrontation. You know, do you shrink back in your giving financially? Because you don't have faith that God will take care of you if you give sacrificially. Or you want to spend every dime that God gives you on yourself. You know, the little decisions you make every day are actually big decisions. You either have faith or you shrink back. And there's a lot riding on your decisions that you make every day. The stakes are high because your decisions determine the course of your eternity whether it's the decisions you make in a crisis or whether it's the little decisions that you make every day. Next, next slide, please. Acts chapter 16. Last one we're going to look at. Acts 16, verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. 
Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. So Paul had many storms in his life as he followed Jesus and as he went on his missionary journeys, and this is just one of them. He and Silas were severely flogged, and they were put in a dark inner jail cell and, you know, with their feet in stocks. Could they have been angry with God that this happened? They said, you know, God, I was on a missionary journey here. You know, why are you allowing this to happen? Or they could just say, you know, God, this Jesus thing is too hazardous to my health. I'm out. I'm out. They could have said that. But what was their decision? They moved closer to Jesus. They found peace in Jesus. They were actually praying and singing hymns to God as their feet were chained. They sat in darkness, I'm sure, and I'm sure what was probably the stench of, an, of a Middle Eastern prison. Their backs bleeding, and I'm sure throbbing in pain. They were singing. I mean, the peace they had in those circumstances was unbelievable to them. But that's what faith in Jesus does, right? When, when you find joy through Jesus in the middle of extreme hardships, that's when the world notices. You see, the other prisoners were listening. They were listening to Paul and Silas. And even the jailer took notice. And you read later in the, in the book of Acts that he, the jailer and his family became Christians, right? And the world will notice you when you find peace in Jesus, even when the storms are raging in your life. So there's a lot riding on your decisions on how you weather the storms of life. A lot riding on it. The stakes are high. And we have such tremendous examples of people right here in our church that are faithful in spite of extreme hardships in their lives. I just think of uh, people like, and I'm going to embarrass them, but people like Donna Halit. I mean, Donna's here today. Donna is a single mom. If you don't know Donna, you should get to know her. She's amazing. She works hard. She works hard to support her two beautiful girls. In the last year, she's lost both her father and her mother. She recently has had some pretty serious health challenges herself, and she's not out of the woods yet on that, so please keep praying for her. Uh, she spent several days in the hospital recently, and she immediately after she got out of the hospital, she had to actually move uh, because uh, where she was living, that house was being sold. But she's persevered. She's faithful. She's here today, even though she's had difficult circumstances. I think Donna needs a round of applause. Let's encourage Donna. Paul and Kim Hammond, I'm going to embarrass them as well. Paul had a serious back injury, and he told me the story. You have to ask him how, what happened, but several years ago, he had a serious back injury, and Paul suffered from chronic pain, severe pain. And a couple of years ago, Kim also learned she had breast cancer, and I'm amazed at their faith. You know, they continue to be faithful servants of Christ. They're shepherds. They continue to raise their beautiful children. They've stayed faithful. They're overcoming their challenges with Jesus. They're moving closer to him, not farther away. May and Bruce Roberts. May and Bruce Roberts, um, they lost their son, Jeff, four years ago. Uh, he was murdered. He was murdered as a young man in his 20s. Obviously, Bruce and May were devastated by the loss. But they've moved closer to Jesus. You know, they, they are two of the two, if you don't know Bruce and May, please get to know them. They are two of the most loving, serving people you will meet. They are amazing people. So proud of them. And, and Scott and Pat Hachia, not, not how in our church anymore. They're now in the West Side Church. But, you know, Scott and Pat spent many years here in South Bay. Many of you know them. 
You know, last year Scott learned he had pancreatic cancer. Uh, he's had surgery to remove a significant portion of his internal organs. Um, he's taken chemotherapy for the last six months. But Scott is still strong in his faith. And he continues to raise two precious little girls. And he continues to be a strong man of God for his wife, Kathy. She's overcoming. So we have so many other examples of people that are persevering. I could go on and on. People that are persevering through the storms of life, moving closer to Jesus, who are doing it his way. They're not shrinking back, and they are an inspiration. So how will you respond to the hardships? Is your faith growing, or is it shrinking? Are you moving closer to Jesus? Are you moving further away? The stakes are high, both for your own eternity and also for those who are watching you. So in conclusion, just to wrap it up, last slide here, next slide. The storms will come. They will come. And they'll either come from your own decisions or they'll come from the enemy who wants to kill you. But they will come. You decide how you will weather the storms. You can move closer to Jesus. You can take his yoke upon you. You can humble yourself by sitting down with disciples and applying the scriptures to your life and studying the Bible. Any member of this church, by the way, is willing to sit down and study the Bible with you. Uh, we have a whole series of studies that we take people through that really teach you who the real Jesus is and what he wants for your life. Jesus will calm the storms in your life when you stop doing it your way and do it his way. And finally, the stakes are high. The decisions you make when the storms of life come will determine your eternity. And so will the little decisions that you make every day. Last slide, please. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Don't shrink back and be destroyed. Be the person that has faith and is saved. Move closer to Jesus, take his yoke upon you, overcome the storms of life, and enjoy the wonderful life that he wants to give you here on earth and in the life eternal. Thank you, guys.